good morning generation nation it's good to be with you here this morning uh, just want to say hello to our campus out now at Tukey. God bless you guys great to have you want to say hello to those of you who are joining us on our online campus from all over the world we're glad to have you here with us this morning uh, if you're wondering who I am I am pastor Randy Visconti I am the founding pastor of the church I'm Pastor Ryan's father, and I am honored to be your preacher this morning. Yay. Thank you for clapping. That makes me feel a lot better. But unfortunately, Pastor Ryan is a little under the weather, so I had to come and step in for him here today. And, but right now, I'd like you to take out your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. As you know, we're doing a series on the Beatitudes and this morning we're going to be looking at blessed are the meek and speaking of that one, one time a, a small thin mousy type of man walks into this biker bar and he goes up to the biggest meanest biker in the bar and he taps him on the shoulder and he says excuse me sir but I'm afraid I have some bad news I'm afraid my dog killed your dog and the big biker says what what, what, what do you mean my, you, Brutus that big Doberman pincher what kind of a dog do you got he said, uh, a French poodle, Fifi. So, How did he kill my dog? Well, your dog swallowed him and choked to death. <laughs> you see, the moral of the story, it's not always the strong that win in the end, right? And that's what Jesus was telling us when he said, blessed are the meek. And if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12, it says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all and falsely accuse, all, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. CNN. Uh, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning and just help us to live this out in our everyday lives and take, heart, take it to heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You know, this, this passage of scripture that I just read to you is known as the Beatitudes. And they're, they're probably among, amongst the most well-known words of Christ. They are so powerful, so radical, so revolutionary that I believe the Sermon on the Mount was, in, was intended to make a strong impression on those who were, who were present to hear that and to us. And, and you could you could probably have heard as Jesus was going down this list of these eight characteristics, the, the gasps and the wows and the, and the groans uh, and the, oh my, and the, what, what did, he just, did he just say? And, and uh, what the what? And the, the, the Beatitudes calls, call us to be 
salt and, and the light of the earth. They, they, to show God's love to people in a, in a very tangible, real way. And, and basically the, the Beatitudes call us to be different. You can think of the Beatitudes as the be these attitudes. Be this way. They're not optional. It's not a multi-choice list. It's not a pick list. I like that one. I don't like that one so much. This is how we are to be. This is how we are to act. Now, it's interesting to note that when the Lord gave us the Beatitudes, that, that he knew that his teaching was going to go against the prominent religious and political teachings of the day. In Judea at the time, the time of Christ, there were like four main religious and political factions going on. One were the Hellenistic Jews. These were Jews who embraced the Roman Greco world. They wanted to fit in with the Gentiles. They wanted to do business in the Roman Empire. And so they were into economic power. Then there were the Pharisees. They were the priestly class. They, were, they zealously followed the law. But the problem was is they added all kinds of man-made laws and traditions onto the law of God. And they were, they were big on rules but short on grace. And they loved position and prominence and prestige that went along with that. And they were into religious power. Then there were the Sadducees. They were kind of like the religious political ruling class of the day. They were liberal theologians of the time. They didn't believe in the resurrection or angels or demons. And they were happy to cooperate with the Romans as long as they kept their political power. So they were into and sought after political power. And then there were the Zealots. These guys were the fiery Zionists. They wanted to bring about the kingdom of God and we want it now. And, and they were ready to bring it in by force of arms and violence and bloodshed. They wanted the Romans out and they believed in military power. Now, did you notice what all four of those factions had in common? They all sought after what? Power, economic, political, religious, military and these four types of power have constantly been sought after down through the ages. History's full of the power hungry. The industrial barons, uh, religious leaders and messiahs have come along. Politicians, conquering dictators. They crave and desire power. The power hungry come, they rise, they fall, they come and go. And Jesus said, it is not the powerful that are going to win out, but the meek. It is the meek who are going to win. They are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. So this morning we're going to look at blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek for they will win in the end. Amen. So what, what is biblical meekness? What, what, what's that all about as we look at that? Uh, of all the Beatitudes, this one may be the most misunderstood or, or even the most disdained by the world. Because we live in a world that honors and maybe even worships power. They worship strength, power, self-achievement, success. You know, hey, get it done. The movers and shakers. The heroes of our screen and society have what? Big muscles, big biceps, big machine guns. Give me the Uzi. Big bucks, high finance, cutthroat high finance type of guys. In the business world today, the key is power. You're to wear a power, don't just wear a tie, you got to wear a power tie. And then go to a power meeting and have a power lunch. 
And you know, they even have rules for a power lunch. You know, they, they say if you go to a power lunch, the rules are never tuck your napkin into your collar. Which really, never do that. That looks nerdy no matter what you do. You never look good that way. But, but also, don't mash or stir your food. Never haggle over the bill. Uh, never hand your plate to a waiter. Never read the menu like the Bible. You're there not to eat but to do business. Never stoop down to retrieve dropped silverware. As a matter of fact, uh, the, I'll, I'll just add, never stoop for anything because you always got to project power. The meek need not apply in our society. Now, much of the reason people disdain meekness is because they really don't understand it. They don't understand what meekness is. And, and part of that is due because words kind of change over time. Uh, like, for instance, at one time, the word girl could be a young person of either sex. Or a harlot was simply a fellow. Or to be lewd was to be ignorant or uneducated. Or a villain was just simply a farm worker. Or in Shakespeare's time, the word nice actually meant foolish. So when you go to work tomorrow, you should say, boss, you are just so nice. You are the, you are the nicest guy in a Shakespearean type of a way. Um, so today, today, meekness has come to mean weakness. And when we think of meek, we think of like a Walter Mitty type guy, little, timid, wimpy, mousy mama's boy. Even the Webster's Dictionary defines meekness as deficient in spirit and courage. Now, that's totally an erroneous definition of biblical meekness. Meekness has nothing to do with weakness or being deficient in spirit or courage because Jesus called himself meek. He said, I am meek and lowly of heart. Our Lord was the farthest thing from weak or cowardly or wimpy. I mean, the guy single-handedly cleaned out the temple by himself. The, the Bible says the cowardly will take their place in the lake of fire. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So Christians are not to be weak or timid or fearful or cowardly. Just the opposite. We are to be meek. Now, biblical meekness comes from the Greek word praotes, and the meaning has more to do with our relationship to God than to man. A meek spirit, a spirit as in like an attitude, is, a, is an attitude that accepts, a meek spirit is an attitude that accepts God's will and purpose without disputing or resistance. Probably another nerd for, another way to look at it is, is yieldedness. Now, it's not, a meek spirit is not a spirit that says, it's not a spirit that says, if I don't get my way, I'm going I'm to take my ball and go home. Or, or it's not, a, it's like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you want, but man, I'm just going to complain about it all the way. I don't know, God calls me to do this. I don't know, I can call somebody else. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you ever been there? It is characterized by a spirit of not being occupied or concerned with yourself, but your main concern is God. One author called meekness, I like this, the strength to be gentle or power under control. Like a great racehorse, powerful animal, but yet will let a child ride on it. Or a big powerful man that, that chooses to be kind and gentle and under self-control. 
Well, I, liked it. I saw this picture on Facebook that I liked. It was this, this big bearded guy with big muscles and abs. And he's like, nobody tells me what to do. And then underneath the next picture, he's sitting at a table with his five-year-old daughter having tea and in, a, in a princess dress. And you know, she's got him wrapped around his finger. Weak people are always trying to prove how powerful they are or show off or impress or intimidate. And they, they like to flash money or drive flashy cars or bully or brag and boast. And, and they always have to be the center of attention. You know, they make themselves the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> you know, people like that. And, and it's always, look at me, validate me. And, and meekness is the strength of character to be loving and gentle and kind and gracious, to be patient with those who are weaker or the slow learners. It's the strength to love even the unlovable, the strength to yield to God. One of the greatest examples of meekness in the Bible is a guy called Moses. And we see this in, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Man, that, that's something when the Bible calls you the meekest guy on earth. You got to like that. Moses was one of the greatest leaders of men that ever lived. I mean, his accomplishments were legendary. He led a nation out of captivity, a nation of slaves out of captivity. He saw an army completely, an enemy army completely destroyed and drowned. And, and he held, a, held together a bunch of nomads together out in the desert for, for 40 years. Talk about herding cats. I, I had a friend who was a Jewish doctor and he, he used to tell me, if you want 13 opinions, get 12 Jews together. And Moses led these guys, and yet the Bible says Moses was meek, the meekest man on the face of the earth. So I believe we can see Moses' meekness in some incidents that take place in his life. Places where his meekness will just shine forth. And the first one is his calling. Now Moses was raised the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And which meant he was raised nobility, royalty. Now, royalty are not known for their humble, meek, lowly attitudes. Especially Egyptian royalty, because those guys, they actually thought they were gods. So they were more noted for pride, arrogance, self-absorbed, air of superiority. And we can kind of see this in, in Moses' life. One day he goes out to be with his people. And he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so he says, hey, I'm Moses. I'll fix this. So he jumps in and he kills the Egyptian with his own hands. Because Moses is still a man of force and power. And he thinks he can impose his will on others. And what did he accomplish? What did that get him? It got him a rebuke from his own people. Because the next day he goes out. He sees two Hebrews fighting. And, he, and, fighting, and he says, hey, Moses, fix. And he jumps in and he tries to fix it. And one of the guys turns to Moses and says, who do you think you are? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And Moses is like, ah, busted. Now he's got to run and flee out in the desert as a fugitive. And Moses tried to accomplish with the flesh, with human power, what can only be done in the spirit. And when we try to live for God in our own strength and, and try to do the Lord's work in our own strength, you know what's going to happen? It's going to fail. Every time. Because the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 
I remember one speaker was talking about the, the process of Christian maturity and, and he was saying, you know, when I first became a Christian, I, I just thought Christianity was easy. And then he said, after I was a Christian for a while, I started to think, man, this is, this is harder than I thought. And he says, now that I've been saved a long time, I've come to the conclusion, this is impossible. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that's exactly where God wants us to be. That's exactly where we need to be. Because the Apostle Paul learned that truth when he said, I, I, I learned not to rely on my own power, but on God's. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, and in hardships, and persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Where are you weak? Where you're weak, that's where you've got to rely on God. So that's where you're really strong. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5, he says, When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. That's all you got to know. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So my, not, it's not my power, it's not my strength, it's not my ability, it's God's power. I just need to yield to him. I just got to have a meek spirit. So Moses spends 40 years out in the desert, out in God's school of meekness. Or, or he was 40 years a student in MU, Meekness University. And uh, now when God calls him at the burning bush, we don't see a proud, vain, arrogant nobleman, a man filled with himself and self-importance. You know, his attitude wasn't, oh, of course, God, I understand you choosing me. What a smart God you are, because I am, I am Moses the man. Now, instead, you know, someone said, you can't fill people who are too full of themselves. Instead, Mo Moses reacts to God's calling with meekness. Who, me? God, who, who am I? And what power do I have? And why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And God says, go, I am with you. Moses went back to Egypt, not full of himself, not, full of, not, not with confidence in his great faith and, and his self-ability, but he went back full of faith in God. And let's look at the difference between proud Moses and meek Moses. Proud Moses killed one Egyptian. Meek Moses wiped out a whole army. Proud Moses couldn't free one slave. Meek Moses freed a whole nation of them. Proud Moses had to sneak out of Egypt. Meek Moses marched out at the head of all his people, maybe two, three million strong. Proud, noble, royal Moses led no one. Meek Moses, servant of God, led a nation for 40 years wrote the first five books of the Bible and was one of the greatest men that ever lived because meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. The meek, the meek realize their strength is in the Lord. And then we see Mo, uh, Moses' meekness can be portrayed in his family relationships, family problems. 
family problems. Can anybody relate to family problems? Anybody just have crazy families? No, don't raise your hand. Don't, 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 don't want to get you in trouble here this morning. I always say families are complicated, families are complex, you know. Uh, family relationships can be weird or difficult, strange, caustic, uh, contentious, downright mean and nasty, and that's with the normal family members, right? Yeah, we, we, we can relate to that. And Moses had family problems. And uh, his big brother and sister didn't like his wife. And they speak out against his wife, and they speak out against Moses' leadership. And we see that in, in Numbers 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk about Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, I don't know if it was a skin problem or whether they just didn't, she wasn't Hebrew enough for him or I don't know what the problem was, but they didn't like her. And then they go on, has, and then they go on to say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. In other words, Moses, Moses is hogging all the power. We want some power. We want some leadership. We want some recognition here, Moses. Who do you think you are? And they were envious of him. And they wanted power and recognition. Now, notice how Moses didn't react. He wasn't reactive. And, and he just lets God take care of it. You know, sometimes you just got to let God take care of it. And we see in, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 4 to 10, it says, at one time, at, at once the Lord said to Moses, Arian and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. It's kind of like getting called to the principal's office here, right? Come down here. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance uh, to the tent and summoned Aaron and Moses Aaron and Miriam, and when both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this isn't true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. And so God deals with this. But look, now, here's the thing. Notice how Moses reacts. Moses was not vindictive. He wasn't spiteful. You know, he didn't say, ha ha, look at you, Miriam. You came against me and you got leprosy in your face, girl. Moses one, Miriam zero. You know what? He, that's, being, that's being reactive. When you go through life reactive, you're always reacting to other people around you. If they're mean, you're mean. If they're nice, you're nice. The problem is, is they control you. They're controlling your feelings. Yeah, like people say, oh, that person just ruined my day or, or, or that, you know, my day, my day I, I'm all upset after being with that person or they bring out the worst of me. They're, when you go through life reacting to people, they're controlling you. 
But when you choose to be proactive, when you say, I am going to act this way towards you, and there's nothing you can do about it, that gives you the power. Moses chooses to be proactive here. Instead of reacting like we would, like people would normally do, he says in verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. Even though she came against me, even though she spoke against me and my wife, I am not going to react to that. I am going to be proactive and I'm going to pray for her because that's the way God wants me to be. Also, we see Moses in his meekness lifts others up. The Bible says consider others better than yourself. And we see this in another incidence here in, Mo in Numbers 11, verse 26 to 29. And said, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. <laughs> and Joshua, son of Nun, who had spoken, who had, who had been Moses' aide, since you spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, make them stop. Stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. See, meek people don't worry about their prestige. They're not worried over who gets the credit or the applause. They're not jealous over their position, their lime life. Moses could have reacted. He could have copped an attitude like, hey, who do those guys think they are? Don't they know that I'm the prophet here? I'm the big kahuna in this bunch? Uh, I, I don't try to muscle in on my territory. This is my job. This is my, you know, this is my seat. How dare they sit it in my seat at church? Uh, Moses' attitude is, I wish that all of God's people were prophets. I want God to use everyone. You know, as pastor, and as the pastors of this church, our, our job is to train and equip you for God to use you. And I, and I know that our pastor, there, there, there's nothing that makes a pastor happier than to see people being used by God, to see people in the church being used by God, to see people praying for other people, to see people ministering to other people, to see people encouraging other people, to see God using you. We're all ministers of the new covenant. And, and, and God can use all of us. And I wish that God would use all of us. And then we see Moses' meekness in his great disappointment. How many would say this morning, I just love the Lord. I just love the Lord. <laughs> Especially when he does what I want. How much do you love the Lord when he doesn't do what you want? What about when, he doesn't, when God doesn't do what I want? When God doesn't follow my agenda? When God disappoints me? Have you ever been disappointed by God? God tells, God tells to Moses, Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You're only going to see it from afar. And I just think, what a crushing disappointment that must have been for Moses. After 40 years of leadership, after 40 years of putting up with these people, yet look how Moses reacts to that. He didn't strike out against God. 
He didn't throw a fit, didn't throw a tantrum, didn't resent God, mumble and gruff. 40 years, I'll let these guys on the desert and I put up with all their crud and I says, I can't go out. Didn't do that. Didn't quit his job, throw down his staff. Fine, be that way, God. I'm going back to Midian and back to the sheep. Didn't leave the church. Rather, in absolute meekness, he accepts God's ruling and continued to love and serve God, trusting in God's wisdom and God's goodness. Uh, you know, I may not always like it. I may not always understand it, but I believe God is good. God is wise, and I will meekly accept the will of God. And Moses continues to faithfully serve God and carry out his duties to the very end, to his last day on earth. He is our greatest example of meekness. So what are some characteristics of meekness? Just going over this real quick. These characteristics you'll exhibit in your life more and more as you grow in meekness. And one of, that is a, one of those is a teachable spirit. We see this in Psalm 25, verse 9. It says, the meek he will guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Never lose a teachable spirit. Never stop being correctable. Never stop listening to wise advice. Proverbs says, the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice, especially when it comes from your spiritual leaders, from wise people. Listen to that. The meek love correction. They love instruction. They never stop learning. No matter how long you've been saved, have and keep a teachable spirit. Also, the meek will increase their joy. Isaiah 29, 19 says, The meek he shall also increase their joy. You want more joy? Be meek. He will increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So God promises to increase the joy of the meek. God, uh, how does he do that? How, how, does, how exactly does that work? Well, as you grow in your meekness, the, you become more and more free from the bondage of pride. Pride is a terrible taskmaster. Pride is a heavy burden to carry through life. Why is that? Because you're... Your pride controls you. You are a prisoner of your pride. And your pride forces you to be reactive. You know, I'm going to react a certain way because of my pride. And it's not usually not in a good way. There's two, I have two laws of pride that I, that I, I, I share. Number one is you are prouder than you think you are. You probably don't think yourself as a proud person. Think again. And secondly, your pride runs deeper than you think it does. You may think, oh, man, I've really dealt with my pride. I've got, and maybe you have this little, it goes deeper than you think it does. I'm speaking from practical experience, believe me. The meek are confident. They're at peace. They're joyful. They're confident in who they are in God, that God's working in their lives. They don't have to win every argument. They don't have to defend themselves every time. They don't always have to have the top position of honor. They don't always have to be seen of men. They don't always have to be celebrated. They don't murmur and complain and they don't gripe a lot. They're not easily offended. They don't go around looking for faults. They don't have big fat chips on their shoulders. They're more focused on God and the work of God. 
that's what matters to them. And, and, and that's why they have a joyful heart. They have a joy that no one can steal or take away or diminish. They're proactive. You can't take away my joy. Your behavior can't steal my joy because this is how I am going to act. So just as we close, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're the ones who are going to inherit the earth. You know, basically saying they're the ones who are going to win out in the end. And I got news for you. I read the back of the book. We win. The mighty don't win. Those with military power or political power or the God-haters, the communists, the, the billionaires, the rioters, the looters, the, those who seek power and prestige and position, they don't win in the end. We do. We are the ones who will inherit the earth. The followers of God, those who trust in God, those who do the will of God, those who live to do the will and purposes of God, those are the ones who inherit the earth. They're the winners. They will inherit the earth. And that's why Jesus said, blessed or happy is the meek. Won't you bow your heads with me this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer? And just as we come before the Lord, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They're the ones who are going to win. And so maybe there's some of us here, you kind of need to grow in meekness. And you kind of need to allow meekness to take place more and more in your life. And in just a moment, if that's you, I, I want to pray for you and ask God to, to help you be meek. I know I, I need help being meek, and, and we all could probably be a little more meeker. It's something we can grow in, but, but God wants to help us do that. But before we do that, maybe you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You never came to a place in your life where you said, God, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive my sins. I want to be your child. If that's you this morning, if, if that's your desire, just as a way of saying, yeah, that, I'm, I'm right there, and that's what I want to do. If, if that's your desire to take that step and receive Christ as your Savior, just put your hand up so we can pray with you. Anybody here would you say, yeah, would you pray for me, Pastor? Uh, I, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Okay, thanks. I see that hand and a couple other hands. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, guys. I'll tell you what, nobody in heaven right now is sorry they received Christ as their Savior. I guarantee you that. And if you raise your hand, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I, I, I just come before you this morning and I repent of my sins and, and I ask you to come into my life and make me brand new. And, and now I want to live for you, God. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of you. I tried doing it my own way, but now I want to follow you, God. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name. And Lord, help us to all grow in meekness, God, that we would not be prideful or seek our own power, or our own fame or glory, but we would meekly follow you, God. Give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.